So um, today we have a special guest speaker, um, someone who is close to all of us, home, close to our hearts. Um, so we have Nicole Pache who's preaching today. And um, yeah, come on! She's gonna tear it up. And um, Nicole, we're just honored to have you and to just hear you speak and share the word of God. So come on up, girl. <laughs> Let's give her a hand. Thanks, Pastor Alyssa. Love you, girl. <laughs> That's my roommate, for those of you that don't know. <laughs> so It's too much. Um, hey, so I'm super excited to be here this morning. Like she said, my name's Nicole. If you haven't met me, I would love to meet you after service and talk for, for however long you want to talk. But before I really dive into things, I want to take a moment to honor our pastor. We have an amazing pastor, don't you guys think? Amen. Come on, she's one of the best. And... Um, this, this series that we're going through is called Heroes of the Faith, and Pastor Rachel has been a hero of the faith for me. And so when I was preparing this sermon, just thinking through all the people that have really impacted my life, and she's at the top of the list, right? So I just wanted, I know she's not here this morning, she's out of town, but I know she's going to listen to the podcast. And um, just in front of everyone, I just wanted to honor her and just say just how awesome she is. She's, she loves you guys so much. She really does. So these past few weeks, we've been going over different heroes of the faith, and we've been talking about people like Abraham, Elijah, Esther, just amazing stories. And when Pastor Rachel approached, approached me, she had a list of heroes, and on there was Samson. And I'm like, how did he even get on that list amongst the great? Seriously, for those of you that know the story, it does not end well. And you're thinking, is that redeemable? Is he, a, is he really a hero type? So he doesn't really fit the heroic mold, at least in the conventional sense. Samson's story is one of those that you learn as a kid in children's church, and then you revisit it as an adult, and you think, oh my goodness, did we really read this story to kids? It's that bad. There's a scene where Samson is with a prostitute. There's several violent war scenes. There's murderous revenge, seduction, acts of cruelty. There's a lot going on in Samson's story that makes you think, is this, this is in the Bible, okay. The book of Judges is one of the more disturbing books, which is where we find Samson's story. Um, but it, all of that is included to show just how corrupt the human heart can get and how desperately we really do need God. We really do need a king to deliver us or a savior to save us. And so Samson's story is not for the faint of heart, it's not for the prudish, um, and it's not for those that would prefer a happy ending. It's a story that's of, of someone that scholars have declared to be the worst judge in all of ancient Israel history. A story marked by promiscuity, violence, and an arrogant personality. So when I was in kids' church, I remember learning about a super strong guy who had these long, luscious locks of hair, and for some reason I imagined him to be blonde, kind of like Fabio, he was charming. <laughs> he was just, he was a lady killer. And um, that was my like PG version of Samson. I was told that tr Samson was, he was tricked by a mean lady and uh, she uh, cut off all his hair, did a bunch of really rude, mean things to him and uh, she handed him over to his enemies and, and so on and so forth. But that's the G-rated version for kids. This morning I wanna dive in a little bit deeper. So we're gonna go to the book of Judges. So Samson's story takes place in the book of Judges and just an overall um, perspective on Judges is that God, at this point in history, the Israelites, first of all, they're God's chosen and called people. These are God's people. And he loves them and he commands them. Well, first of all, he promises them this land. It's the promised land. And he commands them when they go there that they have to conquer the entirety of it. So the important word there is entirety. Don't leave any other pagan nations. Don't leave any other enemies living there because they're going to corrupt you. Don't live in close quarters. Be set apart for the Lord. That's where we're at in this point of history. And so, of course, the Israelites have this bad habit of disobeying. Repetitiously, God will command them to do something and they won't do it or they won't do it entirely or they'll do the opposite. And so here in history we find the Israelites living amongst the Philistines, a pagan nation, and they did um, really awful acts of paganism like child sacrifice and some of them were even successful in corrupting God's people, some of God's people. 
So it's important to keep in mind the tension between the Israelites and the Philistines at this point in time. At this point in history also, Israel had several judges as leaders. So these weren't courthouse judges like you and I would think of when we hear that word. These were political and military leaders of the nation. And so the stories of these judges, including Samson's story as judge, ultimately reveals the failure of the nation of Israel. The book shows the tragic results that come from disobedience. And this book serves as a violent and disturbing history lesson for what happens when humans turn their backs on God. And so the hopeful side of it though, because it is a really intense, heavy book, the hopeful side is that it points to a future redemption. Things could, got, could not get any worse than they were at this point in history. And so the book of Judges sets the stage for a future redeemer. So there's these guys that have this thing called the Bible Project. So a couple of guys make these videos, and Pastor Rachel's shown, I think, one or two of them. They're just quick synopsis of every single book of the Bible. And so I was watching the one on Judges, and they said this, and I think it really just encapsulates the whole, the whole, um, the whole book and the whole purpose of the book. It says, he said, the book of Judges is a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. So even in the Old Testament, in this book of Judges, and you're seeing all of this horrible stuff going on, it's all pointing, pointing towards a future savior. It's all leading into the New Testament, Jesus Christ. And so as heavy as it gets, or as disturbing as it seems, it does serve, it serves a place in redemption history. In the book of Judges, God chooses six really messed up people, and Samson <laughs> happens to be the worst of the worst. You can go ahead, oh awesome. You guys are half a step ahead of me. <laughs> um, so these are the judges, and so each period of history, there's a different judge, and as you're reading the book of Judges, I encourage you to go home and read it. Um, hopefully you're intrigued now, but you're reading the book of Judges. Starts off pretty good, like these judges can be categorized as, they, were, they had pretty good reigns, they did good stuff, they didn't completely become corrupt. And then as you're reading, you're, you're reading about different judges as we go on and it's, it's downhill from there. And at the bottom of the hill, we find Samson. So Samson, like I said, he's different than the, the normative hero mold. We talked a few weeks ago about people like Elijah. Someone like Elijah, taken up to heaven without dying. God just sweeps him away. What would that even be like? He never even dies and he ends up going to heaven because God's like, I, I guess that you're just so close to me that I'll just, I'll just take you now. You're a man of my presence, you're a mighty prophet, man of God, and just sweeps him away. Amazing, inspiring. How about Abraham? He's, he's the first patriarch of the Jewish people. This guy is like the seed of the church. He's the forefather of our faith, a guy that had, um, had the nations promised to him by God. Just another amazing story. You're like, man, what, what a great guy. And then you have Samson thrown in there on the list. So who, who is Samson? Samson's story, it begins on a high and hopeful note. His mother was unable to have children until the Lord promises her a son. And not just any son, but a son that will play a vital role in delivering the Israelites from the Philistines which remember are Israel's greatest enemies at this point in history. So Samson begins his journey as a miracle baby. He wasn't even supposed to be born, but he's a miracle baby set apart for the Lord and he was chosen and called specifically by God to do great things. So how many of you have been to a graduation open house? And you walk in and you see, you see all these awards and scholarships, you see pictures of people smiling, you see all these honors plastered on the wall and you look at it and you think, man, now that's someone that's going somewhere, right? And that's how Samson's story begins. But then Samson goes off to college, he gets mixed in with the wrong crowd, starts making some really poor decisions and it's a slippery slope from then on. The way that I see Samson's leadership is it's kind of like having a baby for the president of the United States. Samson makes a lot of his decisions based off of pure emotion and primal instinct 
sort of like a child would do, but he's supposed to be the leader of the Israelites, the judge at that point in history. So throughout Samson's story, he does have many victories over the Philistines, right? He does a lot, he does a lot of good conquering. But eventually Samson is persuaded by this pretty lady named Delilah who herself is a Philistine, so he shouldn't have even been mixed up with this crowd. And she persuades him and manipulates him to, to share the secret of what it is that sets Samson apart. And he wasn't supposed to share that with anyone. That was God's command to him and he disobeys it and he dishonors God. And in response to this, God leaves Samson to fend for himself which doesn't go very well because at this point, up until this point in Samson's life, it said, the text says that the spirit of the Lord rested on him. That was the source of his strength, that he had God fighting his battles for him. It wasn't because his muscles were super big, it's because he had the spirit of the Lord fighting for him. And now that he's dishonored God, that spirit has left him. And so now Samson's only as strong as the average man and God is no longer fighting his battles for him. And he becomes subdued by his enemies, who at this point in the story are righteously ticked off, right? Because Samson is running around, tricking them, acting really cocky, and he's just using his strength to um, play pranks on them and then kill them. Like, just really, he was a very arrogant guy. So he's really ticked off his enemies, but now he's in their clutches. And so he's chained and he's taken to a pagan temple where all of the Philistine leaders plus 3,000 Philistine men and women are gathered specifically to humiliate him. So it's a big deal that the leader of their enemy nation is now in their hands. So they're all gathered around in this temple to, to mock him, to taunt him, because they can. And so here's Samson at the bottom of the barrel. He's got nothing going for him anymore. And he cries out to God, he says, remember me. He says, remember me. And he, he grabs the two pillars that supported the temple and God grants him one last moment of strength and he pulls them down and so the whole entire temple collapses on itself, taking down his enemies with him. The text says that he killed many more when he died than when he lived, which is shocking. In one moment, he took down more of his enemies than an entire lifetime. And so this seems to be the end of Samson's story, right? He dies, he's buried, but then in the New Testament, hundreds of years later, Samson's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 38. Hebrews 11. This is what some call the hall of faith. So kind of like how we have a hall of fame for amazing athletes that are praised for their achievements and of athleticism. Well, we have a Christian version of that called the hall of faith where, where heroes of our faith are, are remembered. We talk about their stories and their perseverance and the hard things that they went, to, went through to encourage ourselves to read these and be like, man, I thought I had it worse, but these guys had it pretty bad. And so it's inspiring how they kept the faith even when they were tested, even when they had to extremely pe persevere. So let's read that, verses 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
So the author of Hebrews describes the ways in which faith has triumphed in the past to encourage those that may be going through current horrendous trials. So I know that there are people in this room today that are going through hard stuff. And the author paints a picture of faith as a marathon, a race that is finished only through patient endurance. So in other words, the author's putting his arm around a group of Christians and saying, listen, I know that you're going through something really hard. I know that it's tough. But think about these heroes that have gone before us. They've gone through the same things or they've gone through worse things. And they finished the race. They did a good job. They kept the faith. Be encouraged by them. Learn from their courage, their hope, their faith. And if you have faith in God, then you're no different than these people. You are a hero too. Clearly Samson's journey was not perfect, right? But God still used him in a mighty way. And God even redeemed his story and now his name and his story will forever be remembered in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. So I'm confused, who is Samson? Is he, according to the book of Judges, he's remembered as the worst judge in Israelite history, but according to the book of Hebrews, he's remembered as a man who had faith. So who is Samson? Is he a man of failure or is he a man of faith? Why can't he be both? Who says that a person of faith who makes big mistakes can't still be used by God in a mighty way? That's exactly who Samson is. He's the most human hero of the bunch, meaning that he is a man that has a lot of issues, yet has notable moments of faith, courage, and hope. I personally like Samson because he's not how you would imagine a hero to be. I actually like to think of him as this self-sabotaging anti-hero, and it's his humanness that makes him so relatable, right? Samson reminds us of the reality of our journey as Christian humans, not necessarily as Christian heroes, because we don't always act like heroes. He reminds us of the reality of our journey as Christian humans. When we admire other Christians for their strengths or their talents or their abilities and their hero-like qualities, sometimes we tend, without even knowing it, to disqualify ourselves. We think, man, Pastor Rachel, she's so smart. She's so good at preaching, and she knows a lot about the Bible. You know, I could never share Jesus in the way that she shares Jesus because, well, because she has a Bible college degree. Or we think, man, Elijah was so close to God that he never even tasted death. He was a man of God's presence. He was a prophet. God spoke through him to lead nations. You know, I could never have a prayer life like that. I have too many kids to take care of, or I have too much homework to spend time in God's presence, right? Well, God is not asking you to be Pastor Rachel or to be Moses or to be Elijah or to be Abraham. God wants Janae to be Janae. God wants Eric to be Eric. God wants Kathy to be Kathy, right? All of us in this room have the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to empower us, to, to heal the broken world around us, to be the light in the darkest places. And so if God can use someone as messed up as Samson, then God can use any of us, right? So don't be envious of the heroes that are just as human as you. God's using the entirety of his church as a part of his redemptive plan, and he needs all hands on deck, right? He needs all hands on deck for mission and for ministry. The Apostle Paul is is a prime example of, of someone that was a broken vessel used by God. Paul went from persecution to proselytization. Proselytization is just a $10 word that means evangelism. <laughs> it's both started with peace. So he, he went from persecuting the church, from his main mission was to kill Christians. He went from that to converting people to Christianity in a matter of days. And so, so Paul was a Jewish leader. He had a lot of power and a lot of influence. And with that influence, he decided that, well, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So anyone that professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he would have them killed. He would use his position to do that. 
And that was his vocation in a way. That's what he did. That's what he was passionate about. And then all of a sudden, Paul has this moment where he encounters the living, resurrected Christ. And his story is completely transformed. And he becomes one of the most impactful missionaries in early church history. Paul is someone that brought the gospel to unreached places, those that have never heard before. He went, he planted churches. Not only did he evangelize, but he discipled them as well. He would write letters to the church leaders that he would leave, and he would make sure they were doing okay. And so in one of his letters, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, Paul's writing to a young guy named Timothy, and, and Paul is remembering his story. He's remembering where he came from and where he is now and how God has used him. And this is what he says. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the love, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. He ends in worship. So, what Paul's saying there, especially in verse 16, is that he says, I, I got so small so that Christ could get big. I humbled myself so that he could do something with my life. It's not about what you can achieve on your own strength. It's always been about God's mercy for our sins and his compensation for our weaknesses. It feels cliche to say, but God shines brightest when we're most weak. He really does. In those moments when we feel weak, we feel like we're out of options, and we cry out to God asking for help, that's where God shines because we finally let him do something with our lives. We finally humble ourselves. At the end of Samson's story, when, when he's lost his superhuman strength, his dignity, his leadership, the spirit of the Lord, God empowers him one last time to fight against his enemies, which was his role to begin with. And with Samson's last breath, like I mentioned earlier, he takes down more Philistines in that one moment of brokenness and weakness and humility than his entire life of being arrogant and not letting the Lord actually transform him into a man of God. God takes our messes and our mistakes and he uses them he uses them to minister to people. Our mistakes don't, qualify, don't disqualify us for ministry. And by ministry, I'm not talking about being a credentialed minister or a lead pastor or anything formal like that. By ministry, I mean discipleship, walking with someone in their, day, their daily lives, speaking into them. I'm talking about evangelism, sharing Jesus with your coworkers, with your friends and your family praying for the sick, sending encouraging text messages. That's what I mean when I say ministry. And our mistakes don't disqualify us to do that. When I was 16 years old, <laughs> I went on a youth trip to National Fine Arts in Florida. So my entire youth group, uh, we, went, we went on a long distance trip. And so we're in Florida and we ended up going to Walmart at night. And how many of you know that nothing good at w could happen at night with a bunch of teenagers at Walmart? Nothing good happens at Walmart past like 9 p.m. And so we go there because I guess we needed some stuff. And so we're there and our youth pastor's like, all right, uh, we're gonna split up and you guys get what you need, do what you gotta do, and then come back here in 10 minutes. And I'm like, all right, sweet. So I'm walking around Walmart by myself. And I'm 16 years old. I'm a punk, you know, I'm still, we're, we're all still on that sanctification journey. I see my pastor, I see my youth pastor quite a ways away, and I think, you know what would be really funny? If I try to give him a little scare, you know, play, played a little prank. 
And uh, I don't know what I was thinking because my youth pastor used to be a bodybuilder. So he's, <laughs> he's kind of short and stocky and has like, you know, really big muscles. And I, but he was my friend, like he was my mentor and we were close. So I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I'm just thinking, oh, this would be hilarious. So I, I see him from far away and I sneak up on him and I get real close. And in like a really deep man voice, I was like, give me all your money. And I pretended to rob him at Walmart in like a different state. He's probably on edge worrying about his kids. And, and um, I didn't know this at the time, but he concealed carried. So he had a gun uh, under like, you know, his jacket was covering his gun. I see him reach for it. And I'm like, whoa, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's me. So I think he was pretty flustered at that point. He was like, oh, Nicole. What am I going to do with you? <laughs> so here's someone that's a hero to me, my youth pastor, who's spoken to my life, mentored me, walked with me through difficult things, who made a mistake. <laughs> it didn't disqualify him. Sure, he almost shot a youth student by accident. <laughs> but God's still going to use him in a mighty way. We're still friends. We still talk. Okay? <laughs> God knows we make mistakes. He knows we're human. He calls us anyway. Hear me out when I say this. Sometimes our mistakes qualify us. Let's say someone comes to you and they're struggling with something and they say, hey, I have this issue going on and I can't seem to beat it. There's something in my life that is a stronghold. I need your help. And you're like, man, I just walked through that and I'm, completely over it. I can help you. I can speak into your life. And because of my testimony, because of my journey, I actually have merit to what, to what you're asking for, for you to disciple someone. Sometimes your mistakes give you the greatest, loudest voice to speak into others' lives and other people's struggles. So sometimes our mistakes actually qualify us if we can, if we can view them through this redemptive, hopeful lens. So don't, don't disqualify yourself. Don't you think that Paul should have been disqualified? He was killing Christians. Don't you think that Samson, Samson should have been disqualified? He flirted with sin and he disobeyed God's commands. I mean, if these two people were mightily used by God, despite their flaws, why would you disqualify yourself for your own flaws? The kicker is that God can do anything with our humility. Samson's greatest moment of strength is displayed in weakness and humility. And it was his humility that actually made him a hero. He's not remembered in a positive sense for running around with prostitutes and, and being arrogant. He's remembered for that final moment when he actually had humility. That's what makes him a hero. We see three qualities at work in Samson's story. Courage, hope, and faith. The first one is courage. Pastor Rachel defines it by saying, courage is the ability to walk into a situation where you don't get to control the outcome. You don't know what's going to happen next, and so you need courage. Has anyone here ever volunteered for VBS, Vacation Bible School, <laughs> or worked upstairs with, with Miss Betty in kids' church? I mean, if you've worked with kids at all, you know that you, you, know that you don't know what's going to happen. Well, I volunteered uh, when I was a teenager for vacation Bible school, and they made me a crew leader in my first time. I've never really worked with kids before, and I was responsible for 10 little ones. 10 kids! It was like 10 to 2 ratio. So I had like a, like a sub crew, like a helper, like someone that would help me. Man, every day I would go in there thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen today? How are these kids going to behave? One of them one time took off his shoe and started hitting me with it. You don't know when you walk into children's ministry what's going to happen. It requires courage. It's the ability to walk into a situation where you don't know the outcome. But you still do it anyway, right? That's what courage can do. And so Samson was courageous when he cried out to God for one last victory, not knowing entirely if God was going to answer his prayer. Right? Samson didn't know the end of that story. He had to have courage even to cry out to God, even to pray and say, God, help me. I don't know what's going to happen or if you've completely, completely left me or if you just left me for now, but please help. And he cries out to God. He has courage. 
What about hope? And he write, one of the great scholars of our time, he says that hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. It's a mode of knowing, a mode within which new things are possible, options are not shut down, new creation can happen. That's how he defines hope. Hope makes us optimists by default. When you believe that anything can happen because God can do anything, then you begin to live in a much brighter and beautiful and hopeful world. Samson had hope in a God that he knew was strong in weakness. God's character doesn't change. The God that shows up in Samson's story is the same God that shows up in your story. And our hope is is firmly planted in that. It's not this wishful thinking of, oh, I hope God shows up. It's like, I know God is gonna show up because I know who God is. And then what about faith? Faith is about faithfulness. Remember Hebrews, one of the main themes in Hebrews is perseverance. Being a, per, a, uh, a person of faith is not a 100 meter dash. It's a stinking marathon. You might have moments when you're walking and not running. You might have moments where you've twisted both of your ankles. You might have moments where you feel like you've run out of air and water. But just know that the Holy Spirit is with us the entire way through. And the most important part is that we stay faithful and that we finish the race. No matter how we get there, finish the race. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to walk on the earth, to go through hard circumstances, and then to die. I was thinking about the gospel and how shocking it is. It's a shocking story. The God of the universe who is up in heaven, comfortable, perfect place to be in, comes to dwell with humans. And not only that, but he ends up dying in the process. God dies. Think about that. There's no other religions that have that same story, that same narrative, where the the God figure dies. Usually in other religions, the the God figure is is a conventional hero that never gets bruised or buried. But the Christian narrative is so much different, right? Can you cue that next slide with the lion and the lamb on it? So, So what... Which one, which image do you think of when you think of God? Jesus Christ is simultaneously the lion and the lamb. So what some may see as his weakest moment, his dying breath on a cross, we know that that's the moment that sin was paid for with his body as the sacrifice. So what actually looks like defeat was victory. The lion became a lamb because God understands strength and heroism differently than our culture, differently than we think of strength. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. John of Patmos is this guy that has this crazy revelation about God, and he has this this vision-like dream state, and he's writing down all that he's seeing, all that he's witnessing, and he sends this letter of his revelation to the seven churches in Asia Minor. These are churches that were undergoing extreme persecution. These people were watching their loved ones die because they were professing Jesus Christ. And so he writes this letter to encourage them to say something about who God is. And so in Revelation chapter five, verses one through six, John Patmos, John of Patmos is is reminding Christians that Jesus went through hard times too and that If you see what you think is weakness, take another look and you may see something else. This is what he says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Jesus Christ is slain as the sacrificial lamb for our sins, and he's raised from the dead, roaring like a lion. What we see as weakness is opportunity for God. Worship team, if you would come. Samson's story is similar to Christ in that when Samson was most humiliated and defeated, he was able to overcome in a powerful way. God took what seemed like a dead end for Samson and used him for victory. Just like John in his revelation, take a second look at your situation. See something else. See the lion and the lamb. See the strength in the weakness. Do you believe that that God can take your story and redeem it? That's what it comes down to. Do you believe that God can use messed up people for the advancement of his kingdom? Do you believe that God draws near to sinners? Can you perhaps start to believe that when you see weakness, God actually sees opportunity? And so this morning, as the, the prayer team is going to come up here, and you can come right now, uh, there's going to be people on my left and on my right. There's going to be two groups of people in the back in the alcove. People that want to speak life over your story. People that want to pray for you. And so um, through this time of worship that we're going to go into, um, if you would stand, we're just going to take some time in God's presence, just listening to the Holy Spirit. If there's, if there's anything in your life, any mistake that you've made, any mess that you live in, I want you to believe this morning that God can redeem it and he can restore you to himself. He uses broken, messed up people. We see that over and over again in the story of Samson, over and over again in the book of Judges. It's just, it's just the God that we serve. And so this morning I challenge you to pray with someone. You can pray about anything, but I want to challenge you. If there's something in your life that you feel like is disqualifying you, some mistake that you've made that you think is irredeemable, I want to challenge you just to pray with someone and just to, just to see what the Holy Spirit might be speaking.
altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood
were just going deep with him, don't stop, just keep going. Deeper into his presence. It's okay to get lost. So we have time. If you need to find a spot, just like on the outskirts or in the, if you want to come to the altar, feel free to just go wherever you want. Sit down, stand up. Get prayer if you need. There's prayer partners all around. I'm just going to keep lifting up his name. He's good, amen.
God, we praise you. You are the God that never changes. You're always faithful to us. You always respond in mercy. You love us so much. God, help us when we see our stories to see see something different than mistake or mess, to see redeemed, to see changed, transformed, covered in the blood, clothed in Christ's righteousness. God, help us to see something different, perhaps through your eyes. God, give us your eyes. You can do anything with our lives. God, we trust you. We put our faith and our hope in you. Firmly planted in who you are, a God that never changes, a God that loves us infinitely, a God of second chances. God, would you do something amazing with our stories? Do something amazing with our lives. Help us to minister to this world, to one another, to Jackson, Michigan. We need you. We can't do it without you. So this morning, we submit our lives to the call that you've given to all of us to be Christ followers, to be Christ-like. We're giving our lives to your mission. We're giving our lives to, to have a relationship with you. That's our main focus now. We will fix our eyes on you. We love you, Lord. Your presence is so sweet. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. <laughs> Thank you. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for having me this morning, guys. I love you. You guys are awesome. Have a great Sunday.